Hey y'all, my name is Cliff Watson, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Emerging, the official podcast of the Tron Limited Costa Five Rivers Program, brought to you by Sims Fishing Products. Today we sat down with Caitlin Barnhart and Jess Westbrook of the Mayfly Project. The Mayfly Project is a national organization that uses fly fishing as a catalyst to mentor and support children in foster care. I really enjoyed this conversation, but I must say that we had some technical difficulties with our Wi-Fi and audio. So please excuse some of the choppiness and background noise. We hope you enjoy the show. And if you have any questions, be sure to send them to five rivers at tu.org. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Hey, Kate and Jess. Welcome to the uh, the Emerging Podcast. We're very happy to have you guys here. So uh, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, tell us about what you do, and we'll get into the Mayfly Project. Yeah, sure. Thanks so much, uh, Cliff and Libby, for having us on. Uh, so I'll introduce myself first, and I'll let Kayla introduce herself. So my name is Jess Westbrook, uh, founder of the Mayfly Project from uh, Benton, Arkansas. I uh, have three kids and a wife, and... Uh, love your own nipping like that's my that's my uh that's my that's my jam your own nipping so kate tell tell me about yourself <laughs> i'm kate i'm from coeur d'alene idaho i also have three kids and a husband i'll follow jess's uh way he's doing things here um and yeah so i'm in coeur d'alene and um i i i actually started your own nipping with jess now a ton and it's so ridiculously effective, but I also love to dry fly and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, pretty spoiled up here, though. I'm excited to, to be with you guys today. Nice. Thank you. Hey, Kate, where is Coeur d'Alene? I've, I've never heard of that. It might be my ignorance about Idaho, though. It's um, about an hour south of Canada in Idaho. Gotcha. It's completely flat. It's ugly. Like, it's the worst place ever to visit. So, okay. No, I'm just kidding. We'll stay I'm away. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> what, uh, what rivers or what, what waterways you fish up there? Um, we like the North Fork of the Coeur d'Alene River, is one of our favorites. And then we've got like the Kootenai, and uh, we're pretty spoiled. I'm close to Montana too. So, we'll pop over to Montana and fish there too quite often. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty rough. Oh yeah. Sounds hard. Sounds hard. <laughs> and then, uh, Jess, you said Benton, right? Is that right? Yes, okay. that's correct. What, what, what are is uh, down there? So, uh, most of the time I'm fishing like the little red, uh, or, um, fish the lower mountain fork in Broken Bell, Oklahoma. So those are kind of my two rivers that I can frequent most. And then, uh, intermittently there's, um, the little Missouri river, uh, the, both the upper and the lower, uh, that are soccer streams. So, you know, from like November to May, they fish good. So, um, yeah, so those are kind of my four rivers that I, I frequent most, I guess. Awesome. And I, I got to touch on the Euronymphon cause I'm obsessed as well. It's pretty much, I don't know if it's not a hatch or if it's not, you know, fall and I'm fishing for big, big Browns with a stream around Euronymphon. So what do you love about it? Why do you find it so exciting? Um, so I think what I really love, um, about tightlining is, um, you know, it's, 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 it's got a reputation, right. Uh, you know, hatches don't matter. And, you know, I'm, I'm only throwing big, heavy bugs on, 
uh, you know, I'm leaders and, and I mean, I don't care about any of that stuff. So for me, um, what I love about it is it's actually really technical. So I'm really, um, trying to key in on, you know, what they're trying to feeding, right? Like in the water column and trying to match it with my flies, right? So for me, um, I'm not just going out there with, you know, a four millimeter, uh, pink beaded waltz and just like dragging the bottom, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to figure out fish, figure what part of the water column they're feeding in and then presenting my flies that way. So, um, it's, you know, again, you know, it kind of has a reputation for not being very technical, but in my opinion, uh, it can definitely be super technical. Yeah, I totally agree. I love fishing and, and feeling at every single rock along the bottom and saying, Oh, that rock was four inches taller than the last one. You know, that fish <laughs> is sitting up a little higher. I can pull my nymph up a little bit. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the mayfly project, uh, I'll let, you know, you and Kate can, can bounce off each other on this, but, uh, what is the mayfly project? Yeah. I'll let Kate take this one. Take this one, Kate. <laughs> awesome. So yeah. So the mayfly project, we mentor children in foster care with fly fishing. So, um, we basically, you know, start in a community and we network to find mentors and have mentors join our team. And then from there, once we have a good solid team, um, then we network to find local foster kids that want to participate. Uh, and we take the kids on about five mentoring sessions, um, at least. And that happens within a six month window. Um, but really our goal is to take these kids out and introduce them to the local waters and really just give them some love and support, you know, from the community. Um, these kids don't often have a, a chance to experience the outdoors like this. Um, and so that's kind of our number one goal is just to really, you know, get them outdoors. But um, fly fishing is like the best thing for foster children. And I know we'll get into that later, but um, you know, we kind of, everything is designed around fly fishing just, just because we believe it's such an important sport for these kids to have. Um, so they learn all things fly fishing. They learn, um, about conservation. Um, we also have, you know, all these other things that they get along with the project. They get their own gear at the end of the project. So it's super fun. Um, we have a one-to-one -one mentor ratio too. So every kid has their own mentor. Um, so yeah, that's it. in like a really fast overview, but we have, um, it's just so fun for these kids and um, the project's really grown a ton to this, the last like six years too. So yeah, that's a fast overview. Nice. Thank you. And then, so within those five um, outings that they go on in those five trips, I was reading on your website, there's something called the three C's. Is it the three C's or is it the five C's? You can correct me if I'm wrong there. No, so it is. You're right there, Cliff. It's the three C's of okay. conservation, okay. right? So, um, so we focus on catch and release, right? Which is, um, uh, you know, obviously teaching our kids how to properly handle and release fish, you know, where, where nothing's harmed. Uh, we also have um, clean rivers, right? So all of our kids during the uh, outings get like this pile pod, you know, a fish pond, trash can, they, they do that. Um, and then the last C that we focus on is contamination, which is basically preventing the spread of aquatic invasive species. So talking to our kids about washing our boots and, you know, um, you know, all of those things that we can do to prevent, you know, the spread of Didymo, whirling disease, all that good stuff. Cool. Why'd you, uh, why'd y'all decide to include that in the program? Cause I feel like that could get overlooked. Right. And, and in this day and age, it's less likely to get overlooked, but I think it's a great aspect to include, you know, it teaches that, that conservation aspect of taking care of the resource. So, you know, why did you want to make sure that that was in there? I think the kids, the kids that we work with specifically, like, 
uh, it's really neat to see once they form a connection with the outdoors, like it automatically becomes like a place that they're connected to and somewhere that they automatically want to take care of. Um, for foster kids specifically, I think conservation is super important. Um, but obviously, like these kids are the next generation of river keepers and anything that we can do to really instill conservation in the kids we work with, I think is so important for not only our sport, but just our rivers and everyone involved. I think it benefits the kids to learn it and it also just benefits our future fly fishing. Absolutely. That's huge. So one of y'all is from Idaho and one of you is from Arkansas. How did, how did this whole thing get started? How did we get to where we are right now? Oh man, that's, that's such a long story, Cliff. Such a long story. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, the way the Mayflower Project got started, um, after my first son was born case, uh, I started having major anxiety, right? Like started having panic attacks and, um, you know, was dealing with all this anxiety and stress. And I didn't really, you know, I don't know if it was like the excess caffeine or no sleep or if it's a combination of all of it. Um, you know, but, but I started dealing with this and, you know, I fly fished my entire life, like got it in Alaska, done all kinds of stuff. Um, but it wasn't until, you know, seven years ago that I started using fly fishing as a healing tool. So, um, there was a guy that I really looked up to that started taking me fly fishing with him. So he was a few years older than me. He had like a TV show and I really looked up to Chris. And so, um, after Case was born, anytime Chris would ask me to go, I would go. And I noticed when I got out there on the river that everything disappeared, right? Like I wasn't thinking about, you know, things that were causing me anxiety and all that stuff. So I was able to actually relax on the river. So, um, you know, I knew I wanted to get back using fly fishing. I just didn't know how. And, you know, just one Sunday at church, my, my wife, Lauren, and I were sitting there and um, they were talking about foster kids. And I was like, like, these kids don't have parents. I guess I just grew up, you know, middle class, you know, um, white, just didn't realize, you know, that was, um, really prominent in our society, right? And like in the society of my community. And so um, Laura and I started taking foster kids um, and uh, you know, probably like nine months after we were taking foster kids, we were like, oh, let's just set up a 501c3 to, um, you know, buy gear for our kids. And um, uh, so we set that up and probably like four or five months later, uh, we decided to have a logo design. So I reached out to Andrea Larco and she started designing the logo. Uh, and then when that hit social media, uh, Caitlin reached out to me and Caitlin, um, was like, Hey, like, you know, um, I've, I've got a mental health background. Like, you know, when I was working with foster kids, cause Kate worked for CPS and did some things like that. Um, you know, I would take foster kids fly fishing as well. So I see the benefit with this. She's like, you know, we should, um, you know, try to really like, you know, take this, like we should, we should, you know, really do this across the country. I was like, yeah, nobody's going to think this is cool. Okay. Besides like me and you, like we're the only two people on the face of the planet that's going to care about this. Right. Um, so anyway, so that's kind of how, um, you know, the whole thing got started and then Kate and I met. And so it was kind of a natural fit. Like I have a business background. Uh, my wife's an attorney and Kate has a background in mental health and you know, all that social work stuff. So Kate was really um, an integral part of like a missing piece of the puzzle that we needed to, complete the program. So that's kind of just, you know, over, overall how we got started. That's awesome. That's a great uh, story. Kate, what, uh, what made you want to work with foster kids and, and, you know, what made you feel there was a need there? Um, well, I went to college, I got my degree in psychology and started working for juvenile detention over there and then started working for CPS. And so that's where I really like fell in love with just 
working with foster kids just because I know like there's such an unsupported, you know, community that not a lot of people know about, you know? So, um, when I started my career, just throughout my career, I've always just, you know, wanted to work with foster kids just because I know that they need so much support. Um, and the system is just so there's just so many moving pieces in the system. Like these kids get left behind all the time. And so, um, I started taking kids fly fishing probably, I don't know, like 16 years ago. <laughs> um, uh, and we, uh, and it, nobody thought that just like Jeff said, like I couldn't convince any of the workers or anyone that this was good for these kids because they didn't understand it. Um, so I just take them like on my own when I could. Um, but just seeing these kids out there, it's just such an awesome experience because they get a, you know, they actually do change. Like when you get out there, um, they get to take a break, you know, from life in foster care. They get to, like, not think about, you know, all the stressors of foster care. And then they're also just going to relax and just kind of be a kid. And so um, I think it's just been really rewarding just to kind of at least be doing something for these kids that's a little outside of the box um, and give them a little bit of a break, I guess. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, we all know fly fishing can be a very healing thing, so I'm sure it helps them a lot. Kate, could you tell us a little bit about a little bit more about foster care? So, as uh, you know, I don't know too much about it except that you know it sounds like a child that that doesn't have parents, right? Um, but could you fill me in a little bit more about you know where those kids stay, how it works, you know how they might end up there, why they need help, all those sort of things. Absolutely. So yeah, so foster kids, they it's not necessarily kids that don't have parents. It's kids that are removed from their homes because of neglect. So. Um, sometimes it's like parents that are just mentally incapable of taking care of those kids, or there's a lot of like drug addiction, that kind of stuff. Um, there's also kids that are in the, in the system because their parents have passed away and they don't have any, you know, next of kin to take care of them. Um, and then there's also kids in foster care because their parents, um, the child is high, really high needs and the parents just physically can't take care of them. So there's lots of different reasons kids are in the system. Um, every state is set up different. So every state handles foster kids differently. So um, like what happens in Idaho is a little different than what happens in Washington and all that. Um, but as far as in care, um, the kids are taken out of the home and then they're placed into foster care, like foster homes or group homes. Um, and then um, they go, the parents go through either like a trial or something. And there's like a decision whether or not the parents are going to get the kids back. And so after a certain amount of time, depending on the state, the kids are either placed back with their families or they're up for adoption uh, in that state. So it's, there's, there's several different things that like happen. It just depends on the state. Um, but kids spend, when they're in foster care, they can be like moved around from home to home too, which is another big um, problem, you know, just because these kids, they already have, you know, trauma from being in foster care. Uh, or from being in an abusive home or neglected, and then they're in foster care where they're sometimes taken from those foster homes and moved to different ones. So it's just a really tough situation for these kids to, you know, be in a stranger's home and not know, like, what's going to happen. And um, so it's it's a really, really tough time for these kids, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then... So, I, I, you know, I totally understand that there's all these different rules and, you know, things change across state lines. I imagine that gets challenging when you're running a, a national organization. Um, so, so what are some of the issues that you face, you know, running the Mayfly Project, right? So I'm sure you have to deal with, I don't know, different laws in, in Arkansas versus Idaho and Colorado versus the other. Does anything stand out, Jess, in terms of, you know, major hurdles you guys have had to pass in the last couple of years? 
Yeah, so Cliff, when we first started, um, it was really hard to get access to kids, right? Because the kids are, are technically in state custody, you know? So um, just when we were trying to find our first kids to, to start mentoring, you know, we, we got put through the ringer, you know, um, rightfully so, right? Like, they're like, who are these people and why do they want to, you know, um, you know, take our kids fishing? Um, and so, yeah, you know, going from state to state um, is definitely hard and different. Um, it's getting easier the bigger we get, you know, so uh, this next year we'll have, you know, around 60 projects in 34 states. So um, it, it's kind of more from, you know, us kind of reach out to people where now we actually have group homes and stuff reaching out to us. So, um, so again, like it definitely is hard, especially when we go into a new state, there's, there's some, um, states like Arkansas, we have group homes and we have uh, actually uh, a memorandum of understanding with the state of Arkansas where um, the Mayflower Project is recognized as uh, a nonprofit organization that the state of Arkansas supports. And, um, you know, we basically have the backing of uh, department and family services, uh, which is cool, right? Um, however, when we go to another state, um, you know, uh, there are some states that don't have group homes at all. So, you know, instead of, you know, trying to get 10 mentors to one group home, right, to mentor on a Sunday afternoon, you know, you're dealing with, like, trying to get seven families to come together and then have all your mentors come together. So logistics kind of, um, you know, can multiply, and that creates uh, – it's just, it's just kind of hard, right, when you're juggling everybody's schedules. So, um, so definitely, you know, figuring out those, uh, you know, how to get in touch with the people – um, that are in charge. And sometimes, uh, you know, these uh, DCFS workers, you know, they're really worried about, you know, where this kid's going to sleep tonight. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so sometimes we're calling them about taking them fishing, not that it's not important. Sometimes they're just, you know, really overworked and underpaid, right? So, so trying to, you know, kind of grab that attention sometimes can, can be difficult. Definitely. Do you know off the top of your head how many chapters or projects you have across the country? So yeah. it's, yeah, I was going to say, okay. Um, so we have, we're in 31, 32 states right now. And then next year we should have anywhere between 56 to 63 projects across the country. Um, it just depends on like COVID and all that fun stuff. Like how many are going to actually happen next year. But um, we have about, I think we have 61 on our radar for next year. Okay. Awesome. And then what is the, you know, age level of most of the kids? Cause that foster care probably ends when you're 18, right? Does that, does that program kind of go away or how does that work? Yeah. So most of our kids we work with, we say starting at age eight to 18, you know what I mean? Now, now granted there's some States, Arkansas is one of those States that has, um, have programs that kind of help them until they're 21, you know, so they have kind of some, uh, our, our group home that we work with has another house uh, called the Transitional Living Program. So the kids are, you know, going to jobs and buying their own cars and, you know, all that stuff to help them be independent. But for the most part, you know, just like you said, Cliff, um, until they're 18, you know, um, they're, they're in the system. Uh, and then, like I said, we'll normally start them out about eight. You know, if we have a really mature seven-year-old, um, of course, we're not going to tell them that they can't go, right? Like, even if they go, you know, throw rocks in the river, that's better than, than nothing. You know what I mean? So we normally say from eight to 18 um, is our general age. Awesome. And then what is the, um, the you know, to become a mentor, what is that process like? Because I imagine you got to go through a background check, just like you were saying with, you know, your organization, you had to go 
through, you know, the government to make sure that you're not some weirdo or anything like that. You know, how does that work to become a mentor? Um, we have an application on our website. So it's super simple. You just go and find the project that you're applying for. And then we have um, an interview process. So one of our staff interviews every single mentor. Um, and then from there, we have a reference check and then we um, do background checks. So we kind of do put everyone through a lot to become a mentor just because there's, you know, we want to make sure that we have really safe people. Um, and we also want to make sure we have mentors that are committed and that really want to like show up for these kids. Cause that's the worst thing ever is when a mentor's there and then the next time they're not and the kid's like, Hey, where's so-and-so. And we're like, Oh, sorry, you couldn't come. Like, it's just terrible. So, um, yeah, so we have that application process. And then, uh, we also have like a mentor handbook and some training materials. Um, that we make sure all of our mentors go through and understand before they work with the kids. That's great. I uh, I was reading online as well that you do a one-to-one, you know, mentor-to-mentee ratio. And I think that's really important because I think a lot of us that, you know, and Jess, you were describing the guy that had the TV show and you really looked up to. I mean, I've got those people in my life that taught me how to fish. And, and there's nothing better than having someone teach you how to fish. I mean, it is a lifelong connection that... Uh, you, you know, it will surpass most other relationships. I mean, it's, it's up there with your father or your mother, or your grandmother that takes you out there and, you know, shows you how to put a worm on a hook. So that's really cool. And I think it's big that you do the one-to-one. That's really important. Was there uh was there like a learning time where you realized you needed to have that one-to-one or did you start with the, you know, one-to-one ratio right at the beginning? We pretty much started out that way. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, we, there was some talk on the front end, like, and I think mainly I was like, you know, like, yeah, I think we could do like three kids a piece, you know? And like literally after the first outing, like, yeah, no, 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 no. It's definitely a one-to-one kind of deal, you know? And so, you know, just like you said, we really, um, you know, we think that's, that's best for our kids. You know, our kids are in these group homes, you know, so they're, they're living with all these other kids. So this, this one-to-one time, you know, even though it's, you know, it's outside fishing. It's not really, you know, we're not there to be their therapist or, or anything like that. We're just having fun. But that, that one-on-one connection is really, really important. Um, and it definitely, um, you know, we kind of have that motto of, you know, um, quality over quantity. You know what I'm saying? So when we talk to people and, you know, sometimes we'll talk to people and we'll be like, hey, we, you know, mentored 500 kids, you know, and people are like, well, that's not really that many kids across the country. We're like, well, you know, I mean, that's, that's 2,500 river outings because all of those kids went out five times, you know, and got their own gear. And so it's really that, that quality um, versus quantity. We kind of tell our lead mentors when we're interviewing them and we're, we're getting them ready to start a project, you know, we'd much rather you, you know, mentor, you know, three kids and it'd be very successful and sustainable. And, you know, the kids have fun, the mentors have fun. And then you mentor 23 kids and, you know, it's kind of, you know, a little hectic and, everything doesn't go very smooth. So, um, definitely that, that quality is, is what we're focused on here at the Mayfly project for sure. Definitely. And the five outings is huge too, because if somebody takes you fishing once, you know, you might, you might like it, you might get something out of it. But the fact that you take these kids out five times, you know, that is a serious amount of time on the water and they get their gear at the end of it, brand new. I mean, that is just setting them up for success to be able to go fish on their own. Right. And, and I imagine that's sort of the goal with this, right. Is, is get these kids, you know, through the program and then have them out there fishing on the river. And maybe one day you'll see them down river view. Has, has that ever happened? You ever see somebody on the river that, that you mentored or maybe went through the program? Absolutely. We've, we've had, uh, we've had lots of reports of mentors like across the country where they're out fishing and they see their mentee out there, or, 
you know, or they're driving, they, they drive through like a restaurant and their mentee is serving them and they're like, like my flower's in the car, like I'm going after work, you know, those kind of stories are like our absolute favorite to hear because um, it is, it, it's, it can become like their identity too, you know, for some of these kids, they can't play sports just because of how often they're moved around and stuff, so um, fly fishing, it can be like their thing, you know, and a lot of these kids feel like super cool too, like they're able to fly fish and we really set the tone that way too, we're like, man, you're going to be like the coolest kid in school because you can fly fish, like hardly anyone can do that, so um, yeah, it's, we have lots of stories like that. It's super awesome here. Yeah, I know that the impacts of the Mayfly Project obviously extend, you know, way beyond just the, the five outings that the kids go on. Um, and I might not have the details right here, but I know that there have been um, at least a few instances where um, kids have found their forever homes either through the Mayfly Project or, you know, that's kind of helped um, facilitate that adoption process. Could you maybe um, share some of those stories with us? Yeah, totally, Libby. Um, yeah, so we, uh, for a little bit, we haven't since COVID, right? But um, we used to do uh, team up with this organization called Project Zero, and we would do uh, just short films on some of the kids that we mentored, you know? And so we actually got, uh, you know, or not not us got, but like, you know, the video, uh, We there were five kids that were adopted because of those videos that we filmed with Project Zero. And so, of course, they were fly fishing themed, right? Like, and we were out on the river and all that good stuff. But yeah, no, we've had some, um, you know, really cool um experiences with these kids uh and the cool thing is like like kate said you know i mean these kids are moved around a ton you know what i mean so there are times where um you know you don't really know what happens to them because the state moved them you know but but just like uh you know when i was a, a young traveling accountant um you know, I would take my fly rod on all my audits, right? No matter where I went, I'd always take my fly rod. And so same thing with these kids, right? Like, no matter where the system takes them, no matter where life takes them, you know, they'll always have that fly rod and, you know, they're able to quote unquote, find their home water wherever it's at. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, like Kate said, that, uh, the story about the girl in the drive through like it was, we were in Chick-fil-A, I think it was like two years ago. Um, and one of our mentees was saying, she's like, oh man, like I got adopted Jess and, uh, you know, I fish with my family all the time, you know what I mean? And we don't, you know, we were lucky to hear that, you know what I'm saying? But I know this, we know this happens more than we even know, you know? And so there's just, um, you know, fly fishing in general, I feel like, um, has the most passionate people, right? Like, um, fly fishermen are passionate, no matter what it's about, you know? Um, and so, you know, in, in our minds, connecting the most passionate group of people, fly fishermen, with the um, most vulnerable population in the United States, right? Kids without parents, you know, or, or, you know, in our mind, like, there's nothing, like, there's no greater fit than those two things, you know? And so it's cool stuff. That's a great story about the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. That's pretty cool. Uh, how did y'all decide on the name? And I mean, I, Jess, I'm looking at the logo behind you. I, I, that looks incredible. I mean, it's beautiful. It's whoever did that. I think you mentioned their name earlier, but, uh, yeah, you know, know, why the Mayfly project? Yeah. So that's a, that's a really good question, Cliff. So I really wish I had like some amazing story to that, you know? Um, but you know, we were set up the 501c3. We were trying to, the original name we were trying to come up with was, was Mayfly and it was going to be mentoring at risk youth through fly fishing with love and we couldn't come up with a why. Like we just couldn't come up with a why for the acronym. And my wife, like we're on our way to Thanksgiving. I remember where we were at like specifically 
And she was like, what about the Mayfly project? And I was like, yeah, that's great. You know what I mean? So like, I mean, there's no great story. to that. So that's, it was just on drive of Thanksgiving. We came up with it. That's know? perfect. It works well. It works really well. <laughs> so, in terms of the um, the effects of the Bayfly, Mayfly project, right? And Jess, I think you've got personal experience with this, but why is fly fishing so healing? You know, what about it is so great at helping people deal with anxiety or deal with PTSD or whatever, you know, issue is going on in their life right then and there? Why is fly fishing so healing? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to, I'll answer a little bit of this and I'm going to let Kate hop into this too. She'll sound way more eloquent than me, okay? But like, um, so, you know, when it comes to fly fishing and just fishing in general, so there's actually like a scientist out there and his name is Dr. Wallace Nichols and he is doing research on how water is healing, right? Like the sound of water calms anxiety, you know, all these different things. He actually like predicts that in the future, doctors will prescribe water therapy to help with these sort of things, you know? Um, and yeah, Cliff, like for me, like if I don't fish every, um, you know, couple weeks or weekly, you know, or if my wife's listening every three days, right. If I don't fish every three days, you know, I'd be a much better husband if I did, but yeah, no. Um, yeah, it's just something about being outside in nature. Um, you know, I feel like just kind of connects us with the river, you know, when you step into a river, um, and you feel the water, you know, just kind of like going between your legs. Like for me, like you just connected with nature and, you know, fly fishing in particular, you're always doing something, right? Like you're always mending, you're always, you know, getting wind knots out. No, you know what I'm saying? But like, you're always doing something. You're always having to think, you know, it's not like you're, you're catfishing and, uh, you know, you throw it out there and you're just sitting on a bucket for hours. Like you're wading up and down you're trying to figure out fish. So for me, like, um, you know, fly fishing is known as a sport who, you know, uh, great minds do, right? Like, like, you know, a lot of, um, you know, people who uh, really need brain rest can, can definitely find brain rest in fly fishing. Um, and so, Kate, let talk more eloquent about that than I can. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good, Jess. I just add, like, kids that have trauma, like, a lot of um, psychologists now are actually prescribing, like, fly fishing just because of the casting. The movements of casting are just really meditatively your brain I guess like can help calm trauma so um it's becoming like a coping mechanism it can be for people that have had trauma or that have like major anxiety depression that kind of stuff um and so just the rhythms I think of casting which I think like casting it just does something to your brain like when you're doing it it just you know when you get a really good solid cast you're like oh it just feels good (laughs) um and so that's that's actually like scientifically like things are actually happening in your brain um, like serotonin's being released, you know, like there's stuff happening when you're, when you get a good cast. So, um, that's really good for the kids that we work with. And then, um, also just getting a chance to kind of, like Jess said, check out, like, I think when you're fly fishing, the best thing is, you don't. there's nothing required of you during that time. Like you, you, you're not expected to like be anything. And I think for foster kids, they're expected all the time to like, you know, be working on their behavior, like be, you know, doing all these things. And, um, when they get to just be out fly fishing, they get to just like be kids or just be there, you know? And so, um, I think that's why a lot of us love fly fishing too, myself too. It's like, 
oh, I've, I play so many roles in my life, like mom and all these different things. And so when I get to just kind of set that on the back burner and just hit the river, like that's the best thing ever. Um, there's so many reasons why it's awesome. But yeah, there's a couple more. <laughs> that's great, Kate. Do y'all do any fly tying with the kids? Because I think that would be super... I don't know. It's almost meditative. Once you get into the into the flow of it and you get the hang of it, it could be really helpful. Does does the Mayfly Project do any of that? Yeah. So we definitely do, Cliff. So we've been working uh, with Tim Camisa from Trout and Feather in Pennsylvania, um, and he has been doing videos for us for our kids. Um, so we've done uh, five different videos so far. I uh, don't let me name all the flies, right? But like a, a bugger, a pheasant tail, a gurgler, an egg. And a clouser. I think those are. I think those are all of them. Um, and those steps that Tim does are also hand drawn by uh, Carl Schwartz out of Montana with Buzzman Creative. Like he does these cool like blueprint drawings that are in our curriculum. So like our kids have these videos they can watch, and then they also have a step step by step in their curriculum that we give them and that they work out of. Um, and so yeah, so we do do a lot of um, time with our kids and focus on these patterns, and we really. Um, want to make it where it is um how do i say this like uh they're able to go back and figure it out right like they don't have to you know they can go to our website we have a mentee information center where these videos are held you know and so they can go back and remember what they do in case you know in case they can't remember you know nobody knows how to tie gurgler anyways you know what i mean like in case they need to re- refresh their memory they can go back and check out those videos too so that's great those are flies you can throw pretty much anywhere too you know Wooly bugger at catch fish in Wisconsin to Louisiana, all like California, all over the place. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Do you guys have uh, any favorite stories or memories from your time with the Mayfly Project? Um, I think we have like a million, but one that I think just from the pandemic, I think that I'll share real fast. Um, like when the pandemic hit, we didn't do we didn't do as many projects obviously as we normally would have like we we actually started doing like our art of tying program during that time where we sent out like tying kits to like a bunch of foster um but i did do a project here just like a three session project with my um with a local girls group home so it was a group home that i'd been trying to work with forever and every time i'd call the director they'd be like why do you want to take girls fishing (laughs) And, uh, I, which would make me so mad, which made me even more determined to like get through to these girls. Um, and so every year I'd call and eventually I had a um, group home and they were like, absolutely, like, let's do this. And we had to jump through a million hoops. Like we had to have a certified, um, like lifeguard with us, even though we were fishing like a pond that was four feet deep. Um, and we got, um, uh, because of the pandemic, like we couldn't fish normal places. So we got approval from a local um, amusement park called Silverwood. The owner there let us fish his, like, private stock pond, um, which was super cool. Um, and so the girls, the group home is for girls that have been through the, too many group, too many foster homes to actually, like, go to another foster home. So they are girls that are going to, like, age out of the system there usually. Um, so these are girls that have been through, like, a ton of trauma and like, lots of problems. Um, and, like, one of our meetings before we actually met with the girls they asked us like what kind of insurance we have like if a girl like stabbed them with stabbed one of our mentors with a fly rod or something (laughs) it was like okay here we do we're doing this um but anyways the girls showed up and they loved it so much like they just all of our mentors were awesome and we we all like fished like half the day and um the group home staff came over one of them was like in tears she said i've never seen these girls get along 
and everyone be happy at the same time ever, like in my whole career with them. And so it was just really cool to see these girls that have been like really struggling to actually get a chance to like have some fun and, um, you know, spend time with positive mentors and love fly fishing. Like they all just caught so many fish. So that was one of my favorite pandemic memories. Um, the other cool thing is like the owner of the amusement park let them all go to the amusement park after that. So it was like the best day of their lives. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's a yeah. great story. What about you, Jess? You got a favorite memory or story? Yeah, I think um, one of my favorite stories, uh, obviously the kids getting adopted were, were really cool things to happen. Um, but I think my favorite story happened this summer uh, in uh, the group home we were working with. Uh, there was this guy, um, Jay was the mentor, and the kid he was working with, uh, his name was Noah. And uh, they were fishing, you know, um, on the dock and uh, they were catching some fish and all this good stuff. And Jay was like, man, Noah, um, you're doing great at this. Like you're a, you're a super cool dude. And he was like, well, Jay, the, the kids at school don't think I'm cool. And Jay, no, I've been with you for four outings and those kids at school are wrong. You know what I mean? And Noah was like, really? And Jay was like, yeah, man, I'm telling you, you're not thinking about it. You know what I mean? But like, we're all about fly fishing, right? But it has nothing to do with fly fishing. You know what I'm saying? Like, for whatever reason, Jay needed to be there with Noah that day, you know, because Noah's having a hard time. And, you know, I mean, y'all know, I mean, it's, it's been hard enough on us all during the pandemic. Being a foster kid in the pandemic, like, holy cow, man. And so, like, I don't know. You know, I was, uh, I had a really, really good childhood. You know what I mean? And so just thinking about Noah, like I said, almost makes me tear up. And like I said, to come from somebody like Jay, uh, right, who Noah looked up to, you know, I just would imagine that made Noah's week. So uh, for me, that's one of the coolest stories that I have. Yeah, that, that's a great one. And, you know, you both have mentioned the, you know, the challenge of COVID-19. What, um, you know, how has that affected the foster care world? But then also, how has that affected the Mayfly Project? Because, you know, if you're doing, you know, in-person stuff is probably how you connect with most of your kids. And you talked about the fly tying thing, but what did y'all do to, to navigate that challenge? The, I'll talk about the foster care world, Jess. Um, yeah, so as far as, like, foster care, it's just it totally turned a ton of stuff upside down. You know, there's been so many turnover rates for caseworkers, and a lot of foster homes, like, shut their doors, too, once the pandemic started. So caseworkers have been, like, scrambling to, like, find, you know, help and stuff. So um, we've been just super impressed with all of our caseworkers and folks that are still trying so hard Um but as far as, like, our projects, we did shut everything down for the first year. Um, not everything. I'm sorry. We shut probably half of our projects down and just started doing that Art of Tying program. So we still ended up serving, what was it, like, 300 kids, I think, through just the Art of Tying and then through our other projects. Um, and, yeah, Jess, do you want to add anything? Yeah, to yeah. So, yeah, so when COVID-19 first happened, right, like, again, I'm going to count it. So I'm like, what, what, what is happening right now? You know what I mean? Like, how are we going to survive this and all this stuff? So we found and did some unique things, right, that weren't in our normal course of business. So like Kay said, we uh, we did our art of tying, and we sent that out to around 300 kids in seven different states. So we sent them, like, flat tying kits, vices, tools, everything. We sent them coloring sheets. We sent them all kinds of stuff. So that was, that was early on the pandemic. So we were able to still serve our population a little bit. Um, and then while we were still kind of shut down, we did some cool things uh, with like sideline provisions out of Texas. Um, we worked with Edgar um, and we 
did some t-shirts and we did like a portion of sales and we basically bought trips from our mentors that are guys, right? So guys were really affected when it came to, to you know, COVID-19, they couldn't do anything, you know? So we basically bought trips for our foster kids from our guys, from our mentors that are guys. So that was another way we were able to quote unquote serve foster kids and help out, you know, some of our, uh, our guys who were unemployed, you know? Um, so we did some just fun, you know, outside the box things. Like we love outside the box anyways, you know, everything's outside the box. The logo's outside the box. The name's outside the box. You know, Kayla and I work 3000 miles away. That's outside the box. Everything's outside the box. So, uh, we definitely, um, did some cool things. Like Kate said, when it comes to, you know, getting back to normal and getting back to mentoring, um, we basically just follow all local regulations. You know what I mean? So, um, throughout the country, you know, things are different. So we just try to, you know, be as safe as we can. Um, we also, um, another cool thing we did was we, uh, we sent out masks to, um, to fly fishermen that were nurses and stuff like that. Like we did like custom masks with our logos on them and stuff. So we just did some fun stuff, you know, just to kind of keep, serving our population. Um, but yeah, so you know, getting back to normal has definitely uh, taken longer than we would, you know what I mean? Our kids are ready to get outside or, you know, we actually have, you know, caseworkers and group homes calling us being like, hey, we all come get these kids, you know, they've been cooped up forever. So uh, yeah, so it's been, it's been wild and, and fun and scary and all of those things. Yeah, that's great. Um, the other cool, really cool thing that happened during the pandemic, which most people never say that, like the cool thing that happened, but, um, we just had like an awesome response from the fly fishing community. Um, like, I don't know, I don't know what has triggered folks. I think during the pandemic, them realizing like how important time outdoors is for them. I think it just carried over to them. Like, what can we do to like help other people get to get to this place? And so um, the number of like applications for like project startups and mentor applications was super just out of the world, like throughout the pandemic, which was really cool to see. Just, I think it really encouraged us and I too, because obviously it can get a little crazy and dark and um, just seeing people show up and really care and like wanting to do whatever they could was so encouraging and um, really a really cool thing that happened. I think. Definitely. Yeah. There's a lot of people that have shined through in, in the pandemic and have really, you know, made the best situation. I love hearing how y'all have adapted because that's really important. You know, I mean, the world doesn't stop going around even if there's a pandemic. So you got to work with it and you got to make sure you navigate it effectively. So how can, uh, how can everybody help? And with that, we'll start with, you know, five rivers students, right? How can, how can the average college student that runs a fly fishing club or is part of a fly fishing club, how can they help the Mayfly project? So that's a, that's a great question, Cliff. So obviously, you know, the first, um, thing that comes to mind is mentoring, right? So, um, you know, that's the first thing that comes to mind. So if they decide they want to mentor, uh, you know, you can just go to our, our website and fill out an application. There's a drop down tab that, uh, you know, you can select a project that's close to you and we have an interactive map. So you can kind of see where the projects are at all over the U S you know, um, we also, um, you know, we've had some, um, you know, projects just do like fun things to help raise money to sponsor a kid. So to put a kid through the program is $780, you know, so um, it's a lot of money, right? But when you're fundraising and you're doing fun stuff, you know, it can be attained, uh, you know, fairly easily. So, you know, you know, fly fishing clubs want to get together and, you know, do some fun stuff like top flies for, for us or try to raise money to sponsor a kid. Those are always 
some great things that are needed. Um, and you know, going back to the time the flies, like you can imagine how many flies we go through, right? With kids, right? And Caitlin, kids and Caitlin, like just lose flies like crazy. You know, so we just, you know, we constantly, constantly need flies. So those are ways like you can kind of like, you know, um, if, if, you know, if money's not an option, you know, like flies are awesome, right? Like we always need, we always tell people like super easy patterns, right? Squirmy worms, eggs, pheasant tails, waltzes, just those easy things you can tie and kind of pump out that catch everything are, are great ways to kind of, to give back to our kiddos. That's a good idea. I think our next uh, tying night at CU Boulder might be for the Mayfly Project and we'll rip out a bunch of squirmy worms or something like that. And should we send those to, uh, you know, is there a way to send those on the website? We can find an address or something like that. I think so. I think our address is on the website, um, but our address is, is, um, is uh, like I so said, normally we have like a we basically have an in-kind donation form so we can get your information. Cause a lot of times we like to like, if you were going to gonna do that cliff, we'd be like, Oh yeah, cliff, that sounds great. Like, you know, we want to send you a whole bunch of stickers. You know what I mean? So there's a form on our website for in-kind donations. So you can just kind of like do that or you can send me an email those to uh we don't just na- to the national program or you know if you want to you know keep those slots in colorado like we always think that's cool too right like you know to give back to the kids that are in denver or the kids that are in um you know uh four Collins. we think those are that's that's a cool thing to do so a lot of times it's kind of like a conversation like okay do you want these to go to the national thing or do you want these to go to a project that's close to you you know what i mean so uh yeah like i said reach out via email or, or online and we can we can get that hooked up for sure cool yeah i think it'd be great actually i was looking at the uh on the website there is a way to find your local chapter right because i was able to see there's a couple in one in denver and fort collins and stuff like that Yep. Yep. So we have a, have an interactive map where you can kind of just go through. We have, I think five different projects in Colorado. So yeah. Oh, perfect. You, you can see how close you are to one. Yeah. It'd be great to keep that stuff local, you know, and who knows, maybe we'll see one of those flies on a log or in the side of trout's mouth or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. So I'd love to hear, um, now I'll go back to this, but in terms of like the fly fish community at large, you know, our five rivers students can help, but is there anything different that you would see, you know, you know, just an average, average fly fishing angler that could to do differently than a college student, or is it about the same, you know, tie some flies. If you have money, give us a donation or try to be a mentor. Is that about the same thing? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say it's the same. Um, a lot of our mentors, uh, seem to be like folks that are more like established. I know sometimes college students are like getting ready to move and there's some, you know, changes that are happening. So we really want our mentors to be like committed, but that being said, like we have some amazing college student mentors like across the country that have really stepped up like even in my local chapter I've got um, a local college kid and he's just been re-outing and um, so yeah I think there's just a little difference because some of our older mentors are more like they have a little more free time and stuff but um, we'll take any mentor and I think that goes for the kids too like some of them love working with the younger you know college kids but some of them love like the older mentors too just like kind of like a grandpa or grandma kind of role, you know, so I think having a diverse group of mentors is so yeah, so a great example of you know what college kids can do. I know we've been we've been talking about that is like Libby, for example, uh, on this podcast. Ooh, Libby, um, Libby, uh, you know, Libby used to volunteer when she was in college, you know, so she wasn't close to a project. She was in Missouri, uh, but we had final outings in Arkansas where uh, you know we, we had all these kids and we didn't have enough mentors. And so uh, I would call Libby and be like, Hey Libby, can you come down to North Fork and help us out? So, um, you know, there are times and places where we do need, you know, 
uh, mentors to show up that may not be full time, right? We we obviously like that. That's our that's our preferred way to do it. But um, yeah, Libby uh, played a great role in college, just just helping out and filling in as needed. Yeah, um, well, one, thank you for that, Jess, and um, that experience, you know, volunteering in, in Arkansas and one of the projects in Missouri was just um, absolutely life-changing for me, um, and so I'm, I'm excited now that I am, you know, uh, stable and steady, and well, not, that makes it sound like I'm unstable, now I'm living <laughs> in one place. <laughs> uh, we got Libby back. And she's stable. <laughs> Living in one place for an extended period of time, um, I'm excited to be able to to plug in a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, um, it is harder as a college student because you're moving around a lot and scheduling is weird. But I would say if for any college students that want to get involved but maybe can't um, commit the time to mentoring right now, just, you know, becoming familiar with the organization and you know, doing your research and, and learning where projects are at. Um, I mean, just from an outsider's perspective, like that seems like a, a good uh, way to get a foot in the door, so to say. Can I ask something to you guys real quick? Absolutely. Um, as far as like our, as far as like our kids, our foster kids that are aging out, like, are there any like possibility that they can join in with what you guys are doing at Five Rivers or like, what does that look like? Like, how do they join you guys? Definitely. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the main thing is if they're at, if they're joining a university, right, if they're going to a school that has a fly fishing club, they can definitely join that club and be involved. But also if they want to start their own club, they are, you know, more than welcome to and should definitely reach out to us because that's something that, that we are, we can really help them with and we can get that club going off the ground with them. So, you know, at off the bat, absolutely. Uh, yes, we can definitely, you know, work with them if they're at a university or, or going to be at one. Libby, do you have anything to add? Yeah, most definitely. We're working on sort of an affinity program as well, so that if a student is at a school where they, um, you know, maybe it's a smaller school or they just can't get enough members together to form a club, but they still want to be involved with the national program, um, we could definitely make that work as well. So um, I would say that the best way for any college student or, you know, prospective college student that's that's getting ready to age out um, would just be to, to contact us and see where they can fit in. Um, cause yeah, even if they're not at, you know, a school with a big club, um, we'd still love to have them on board in any way. Another thing that's, that's cool that, uh, we haven't really talked about was, uh, Trout Unlimited actually donates, uh, memberships to all of our kids, right? So in the back of our curriculum, uh, you know, is the, the TU membership form and, you know, uh, they can basically cut it out and mail it in and all that good stuff. So, uh, I want to tell you guys so much. Thanks for, uh, you know, helping our kiddos out for sure. So they love that stuff. Cool. So one more big question, and I'd love to hear both y'all answers on this, but you know, y'all have done a great job of taking something you care about and, you know, turning it into a nonprofit and making a huge difference in the world. And I think that within the college community, but then also fly fishing and just humanity, everybody wants to do that, right? Everybody wants to help other people. At least I hope they do. Um, so do you have any advice for someone that's looking to make a, a positive change within their community and beyond and, and how they can take steps to do that? Yeah, I, I think what I'll start with is just that um, kind of scary, like stepping outside of your comfort zone of like what you normally do. And like when you have a dream or an idea, it's like, oh man, I don't know if I can do that. Um, like Jess and I, like even when I jumped from like my career to like this career, like it was so scary for me. So I'm like, oh man. I'm letting go of a lot of things that I, you know, had planned that in that direction. But um, my biggest, you know, advice is to just take the jump and just 
you know, life is so short. Like, don't waste it. Just set a nine to five. Like, if you feel like lead and you feel like there's something that really makes your heart happy, like, just make that jump. And even if you're not sure, you know, where you're going to land, like, just trust that, you know, somebody, somebody's going to be put in your path that's going to help. And um, it's definitely worth the risk, I guess. That's what I'll say. Great answer. What do you think, Jess? Yeah, so I would say uh, for for me, Cliff, is like, you know, when we first started, um, we spent a lot of time on the front end, right? Like um, developing a mission, how we were going to do it, how we were going to communicate with our mentors, right? Like we have over a thousand mentors across the U.S. and we have like a, a back end to our website where our mentors can log in and they can, you know, get all these forms. So um, there was a lot of front end thoughts that went into the Mayfly project, you know, and then also, you know, along those same lines, you know, making sure that your mission is, you know, what you care about, what you're going to do, but you're also, you know, you got to watch out for mission drift, right? Like we've had some people approach us that were like, Hey, we would really like, you know, to give you guys a lot of money. However, y'all probably need to spin fish. You're like, yeah, no, 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 no. You know, we're not, you know, we're, we're, we're sticking on the same path. So, you know, um, you know, and, and also, you know, surrounding yourself with people who are better than you, right? Like Caitlin is better than me at mental health and dealing with mentors and all of this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like I am better than Caitlin at the business side of things. You know what I mean? So, you know, when, when you're developing these, um, you're really trying to take something and grow it, you know, putting people in charge or people in place, uh, you know, that can, can do a better job than you is, is a great thing. And so sometimes it's, it's really hard as the founder of an organization, right. To like, you know, give somebody, somebody else is going to write the thank you notes. Can they do it as good as Jess can? Like, absolutely. They can just, you know, so, so, you know, in, in my mind, surround yourself uh, with people that are better than you is really important. That's great advice. So uh, where can people learn more about the Mayfly Project and how can they get in touch with you if they're looking to do that? Sorry, I was waiting on Kayla. Um, <laughs> no yeah, so they can just... <laughs> so yeah, so they can just go to uh, www.themayflyproject.com and like I said, there's a you know a mentoring tab and there is, um, you know, there's a quick video that kind of describes what we do and you know, they can, they can basically go in there and fill out an application. Or like I said, if they have any questions, you know, you can feel free to email myself, just at the mayflyproject.com or Caitlin, Caitlin at the mayflyproject.com, uh, just to, you know, ask any questions or, you know, get any answers for, for anything that, that, uh, that they have questions about. Awesome. Well, thank you both so very much for your time. It's been a great talking to you. And, uh, yeah, hope you have a great rest of the day and maybe we'll see you on the river one day. That sounds good. See you guys later.